In previous weeks, we've been going through the letter of Hebrews, chapter 12. As background to our further reading from Hebrews, we're going to read from Exodus, chapter 19, the passage immediately prior to the law we just read. We'll read that as context for the text in Hebrews, chapter 12. So Exodus 19, and we'll read the entire chapter together. (laughs) On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and and camped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it, Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke, because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. 
So Moses went down to the people and told them. Thus far, God's word. Let's sing in response from Psalm 29, stanzas 1 through 3. The text this morning is Hebrews chapter 12, from verses 18 to 24. Hebrews 12, starting at verse 18 and continuing on to verse 24. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Thus far God's word. After the sermon, we'll sing together hymn 69, three stanzas. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, if you've ever traveled to the mountains, you may recall that first moment as you're traveling when the peaks first come into view. As you're driving along, you're staring at the horizon It's a special moment when finally you see the mountain peaks out there on the horizon. It's an exciting moment. And as you travel towards them, they get bigger and bigger, fill more and more of your field of vision until finally you're sitting there, you're past the foothills, and you're at the foot of the mountains themselves. And they're there in all their grandeur and their beauty. You can imagine much the same experience for the Israelites as they set their feet towards Jerusalem for the many festivals that they experienced every year. Theirs was a much longer journey, a much more difficult journey than the one we take in our cars. But the experience must have been much the same. That first glimpse of the mountains around Jerusalem must have filled them with excitement. The end was in sight. The destination was there. What joy must have filled their hearts to anticipate the reality of standing in God's temple, of worshiping him in that place where his presence could be felt most strongly. That's something of the picture that the author of Hebrews is drawing for us today. He's been describing our life as a race of faith, as we've seen in previous sermons. He's provided the strategy for our race of faith, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the forerunner, the pioneer, and the founder of our faith. He's also explained to us how hardships fit in with this life of faith. How hardships discipline us so that we may run the race successfully. How he works these hardships in our lives to mold us and shape us the way he wants us to be. Well, now he's describing to us the goal of our race of faith. 
the finish line, as it were. We're running towards a mountain. It's not just any mountain, though. The author wants to describe the glory of this particular mountain, and to do that, he sets up a contrast for us. He contrasts Mount Zion on the one hand, that mountain towards which we are running, and Mount Sinai on the other hand. The new covenant against the old covenant. And the contrast is there to highlight to us the glory of this mountain towards which we are running. The glory of the new covenant as well. Now for the first audience of the book of Hebrews, it was a special message. They were Jewish Christians and they were still attracted to all the ceremonies of the law, the rituals that went along with temple worship. Even though Jesus Christ had come and fulfilled all of these. And so the author of Hebrews has been busy demonstrating to these Jewish Christians that the new covenant in Christ's blood far surpassed that old covenant. He set up Jesus as far above the angels. Jesus is far above Moses. He's far above Melchizedek. Far above all the Old Testament high priests. And now in our passage he comes to the climax of his case. How much more glorious is Mount Zion than Mount Sinai. The spiritual mountain towards which we are running is far greater than even the awe and majesty that the Israelites experienced at Mount Sinai, in which we read together in Exodus 19. The new covenant in Christ's blood far exceeds the old covenant of the written code. So the gospel in our text this morning is that the glory of the new covenant in Jesus' blood is that we have come first not to a mountain of death, but to a mountain of life. Not to the mountain of death, but to the mountain of life. But first then, the author of Hebrews takes us to the foot of Mount Sinai itself. The people of Israel have been brought here out of Egypt to the foot of this mountain so that God may establish a covenant with his people. They've been freed from slavery in Egypt. They've been brought through the desert, and now they've pitched their tents at the foot of this mountain. They're going to be God's kingdom of priests, a holy nation. But before they can be this, before they can establish, before God establishes this relationship with them, he needs to remind them of just who he is. They need to learn just who this God is who wants to have a relationship with them. He's going to reveal himself to them in a most awesome way. He's going to display to the Israelites just how holy, just how majestic, Just how far above and beyond sinful mankind he really is. And to do that, he first demonstrates to the people how impure they are. They have to consecrate themselves. They have to wash themselves, wash their clothes. They have to refrain from sexual intimacy for three days before God reveals himself to them. It's not possible for them simply to come to God just as they are. Although the mountain was a physical mountain that could be touched, as the author of Hebrews points out, it was a mountain that simply could not be approached. God was not approachable in his holiness. And so Moses sets barriers at the foot of the mountain so that the people simply can't come and touch the foot of the mountain. And the penalty for any disobedience is death. Even if it was an animal that touched the mountain, he had to be stoned. No defiled creature could come into the presence of God's holiness and live. 
The message was clear simply from this, these prescriptions that the Lord laid down for the people to, to follow before they came into his presence. The mountain that could be touched could not be approached. And now, after demonstrating to the people their own impurity, God reveals himself. And it's an awesome and awful experience for the people of Israel. Listen to the description that we read earlier. The smoke billowed up from the mountain like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Can you imagine the sights and the sounds? Earthquakes, smoke, thunder, lightning, ear-splitting trumpet blasts, smoke, darkness, fire. The mountain that could be touched but could not be approached was enshrouded in darkness, cloaked in gloom and storm. What an awesome experience it must have been, but a terrifying one too. The people at the foot of the mountain are terrified. They understand now who this God is who wants to have a relationship with them. They're struck with fear by his holiness and by their own sinfulness. And so they actually ask God not to speak to them anymore. They simply can't bear to hear the voice of this holy God. They understand now that there can be only death for those who approach God in their sinfulness. If even animals who simply do God's bidding cannot approach the mountain without being killed, then how much less man, God's special creation, who had rejected a relationship with God, his creator. Even Moses is terrified, it says in our text. Moses, the man who had a special relationship with God, the man who could speak with God face to face, the one the letter writer describes as faithful in all God's house, even Moses is trembling with fear. This was the mountain to which the people of God had come, an unapproachable mountain that inspired fear and terror. This was the mountain from which the law that we just heard was given to the Israelites, the guidelines and the rules of the covenant. It was a law that could only bring death apart from Christ. The people couldn't keep the covenant. It wasn't long after this awe-inspiring moment that they sinned in making for themselves a golden calf. The people themselves could never find life through the law. It was Mount Sinai, too, where God instituted that old covenant, all the sacrifices and the rituals that went with the old covenant. Only through death, only through the endless bloodshed of rams and goats and bulls could people have a relationship with their God. And even then, only, it was only once per year on the Day of Atonement that the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies to be in God's presence himself. For the rest, there was a barrier between God and his people. The distance never lessened with the bloodshed of these animals. The mountain didn't become any more approachable. It was, in many ways, a mountain of death. But thanks be to God. Because that mountain and death didn't have the final word. Because all of the blood that was spilt in the temple in Jerusalem was pointing forward to the perfect blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
It was that blood that broke down the barriers that stood at the foot of the mountain, that separated the people from their holy, holy, holy God. That mountain of death, Mount Sinai, pointed forward to another mountain of death, Mount Golgotha, on which the Son of God gave his life, that we may have life. Gave his life that the distance between God and people might be broken down and we might come near to the Holy God. In that moment when Christ died on the cross, the temple curtain was torn in two, symbolizing that the barriers between God and man were broken down. The old system of blood and death was no longer necessary because that one death had paid the penalty for sin. Death was defeated. And sinful man now had free and complete access to God himself. The forerunner had blazed the trail for those who belonged to him. Now the reality that Christ ushered in by this death is far more glorious than what we saw at Mount Sinai. But how easy is it for us to forget this new reality? Sometimes we find ourselves back at the foot of Mount Sinai. We find at Sinai something tangible, something we can hold on to it, hold on to. We yearn perhaps for something extraordinary, something physically impressive, extraordinary feelings or extraordinary awe, the kind of feelings you get when you stand at the foot of a mountain and simply marvel at its grandeur. Perhaps you think that if you could just witness something like this, a tangible display of God's power, that that would make your faith just that much stronger? What if we were to have walked with Jesus the way his disciples did? Wouldn't it be so much easier to have faith if we could just put our hands in Jesus' side or put our fingers in the nail marks like Thomas did? Then we find ourselves back at the foot of Mount Sinai, the foot of the mountain of death, Or maybe we find at Mount Sinai, find ourselves at Mount Sinai thinking that regulations and laws are going to make it possible to approach the Holy God. We strive to be obedient to God's law, thinking that if we can somehow make ourselves acceptable in His sight, if somehow we can just keep the laws more perfectly, then somehow our good efforts are going to open the way, are going to earn us the right to approach God's throne to set foot on his holy mountain. But beware. Because Mount Sinai can only ever be the mountain of death, the mountain of shadows. Life is only found in Jesus Christ. The race cannot be run in our own strength. We're not going to reach the finish line by exerting ourselves more or pushing ourselves more, but only by fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ. And then when we have our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, we find ourselves running towards a mountain of life. Then we can see in Jesus Christ the reality of the finish line, the goal of this race of faith. And in Jesus Christ, we have indeed come to this mountain already. We see that in the second point, that we have come to the mountain of life. And the contrast couldn't be more striking. We're not coming to terrifying and dreadful Mount Sinai, but the glory of Mount Zion. Mount Sinai was a mountain that could be touched, but was unapproachable. 
But Mount Zion is a mountain that cannot be touched, but by the grace of God is approachable. Sinai was closed to all people. Zion is open to all those who come in Jesus Christ. Sinai was covered with clouds and thick darkness, but Mount Zion is the city of light. Sinai was terrifying and dreadful, but Zion is inviting and gracious. Sinai could only bring death, but Zion brings life. Mount Zion. That was the hill on which Jerusalem was built. It was the seat of David's throne, the royal house of Israel. It was a symbol of his kingship, a symbol of the throne of Israel as well, the kingdom of Israel. And now with the coming of the great son of David, Jesus Christ, Mount Zion has become the seat of his eternal kingship. On the throne in Mount Zion, King Jesus reigns and he welcomes all of his subjects into the heavenly Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The earthly city of Jerusalem. That had been the special place where God had dwelled with his people. It was a place where his temple was, where the sacrifices and offerings were offered. But this earthly Jerusalem was still mediated through the old covenant. God could only be approached through the old system. Although he dwelled there with his people, there was still distance and separation, as we've seen. But the heavenly Jerusalem is the fulfillment of this earthly city. The heavenly Jerusalem is the city of the living God. The living God. Earlier on, the author of the Hebrew of Hebrews had warned his readers, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And at Mount Sinai, the power and majesty and holiness of God was on display and the people trembled with fear. But at the end of our race of faith, we are welcomed into this city, into the city of this living God. He's no less holy. He's no less majestic. But he's prepared this city to dwell with us perfectly in perfect fellowship. This is the city that the Old Testament saints had fixed their eyes on. The city with foundations, the eternal city, a city designed and constructed by the great architect himself, God. This is the mountain towards which we are running. And as we enter those gates, it's a festive and joyful occasion. The city is simply packed with the crowds, just as Jerusalem was packed with crowds on the festival days. So this city, too, is full to the brim of those celebrating an eternity of life with God. Thousands upon thousands, endless numbers of angels rejoicing in the presence of God. And along with these angels, those who belong to the church of the firstborn, those whose names are written in heaven. That is, those whom God has called as his own, those whom he's adopted as his heirs, those whose names are written in the book of life. The church victorious celebrating with the heavenly servants. The church celebrating in the very presence of God himself. God, the judge of all. We can come into his presence not because he's relaxed his holiness. Not because he's minimized the requirements for a relationship with him. Not because he accepts our impurity. He remains the judge. He's still the holy God who spoke to his people from Mount Sinai with thunder and clouds and fire. He's still the living God. 
He only permits into his presence those who are without spot or wrinkle. How then is it possible that we can come into the presence of this living God? Because he's the judge. And the judge himself declares us righteous. The judge himself declares us without spot or wrinkle through Jesus Christ. And so we are there joining the other righteous ones who have already been made perfect. Among those who welcome us into this city, there are no imperfections. There are no impurities. For they are the spirits of righteous men made perfect. We are welcomed by the heroes of faith who have gone on before us. The cloud of witnesses. Men and women like Noah, Abraham, Moses, Rahab, Samson, Gideon, David, Samuel. They're all there. Those who have been declared righteous by God himself. The judge of all men through Jesus Christ. And they are the very image of their Savior because he has transformed them too. And so it's only fitting that we end with Jesus Christ himself. The author of the Hebrews comes to Jesus Christ. We can only come to Mount Zion into the city of the living God because we have as mediator the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the mediator of this new covenant. He has brought us from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. He's the reason we are welcomed there with open arms. He's the one who has removed the barriers between sinful man and holy God. His sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, the author of Hebrews says. Abel's blood was spilled by Cain, and when it cried out from the ground, it cried out for judgment on Cain for his sins. But the blood that Jesus shed on the cross pronounces not judgment, but salvation. His blood, sprinkled on the mercy seat, sprinkled on us, through baptism, washes away the guilt and the pollution of sin. His blood and his death give us access to this mountain of life. What a glorious vision we receive in the text. The author of the Hebrews holds before our eyes a reality that is far more impressive, far more awe-inspiring than the terrifying sight at Mount Sinai. And as we run the race of faith, we see before our eyes this mountain, in the distance, on the horizon. And we may run with confidence knowing that the goal is worth running for and that our victory is certain. For even though it lies in the future, the reality is here and now, today, already. The author writes, you have come to Mount Zion. That is, it's not just a future reality but a present reality. In Christ, the victory is ours already. The finish line is ours already. And if we run in faith, that already will become fully true. Our names are written in heaven already. We belong here and now to the body of Christ. This is the communion of saints. And as weak and unimpressive as it may seem at times, the church here and Elora is the body of Christ. But there's another right reality too, the heavenly one. As we sit here together, we are also members of the church triumphant. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who have run the race before us and who are there awaiting our entrance into the heavenly Jerusalem. We belong among them too. 
Our citizenship is in heaven. So what difference does that make? How does that make you run? Does the race look any different now that you know you're not running to Mount Zion, Mount Sinai, but you're running to Mount Zion? Well, yes, it does, drastically. For we are running to a mountain that can be approached. God remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still needs to be worshipped with reverence and awe. He still is a consuming fire. And yet, in Jesus Christ, he may be approached. The kingdom of Christ is not a kingdom of fear, but a kingdom of joy and thanksgiving. And what's more, the kingdom is already here now. We already enjoy free and confident access to God. We live under an open heaven. We come into God's presence even now because of Christ's blood. He welcomes us even now before the throne of God. We're free to present our petitions, our requests to God boldly. Because Christ is at God's side, interceding for us. We have a great high priest. We don't need to tremble in fear when we kneel before God in prayer. We can approach him confidently, like children. And we don't need to tremble in fear as we walk through these doors each and every Sunday. The doors are opened and we are welcomed in. It's right here in this ordinary weekly gathering of believers that we experience a foretaste, a preview of the future reality. What may look to outsiders like a simple gathering of like-minded individuals is in reality something much more glorious, much greater. This weekly event, the gathering of God's people, far outweighs the glory and majesty of God's appearance at Mount Sinai. Sinful people are invited to approach the holy mountain and come freely into the presence of the living God. We are permitted No, we are commanded to sit here, to stand here, to sing here before the face of Almighty God. Heaven stands open and we are joined by multitudes of angels, by a cloud of witnesses singing the praises of our God. Each and every Lord's Day, we are able to experience in a small way that perfect fellowship that we will experience for an eternity when Christ returns and the new Jerusalem descends. Isn't that amazing? This future that Christ has secured for us is a reality already today. We have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. The goal of our faith, the goal of our race is ahead of us. The mountain of life is on the horizon and we're getting closer. We're coming to a mountain that cannot be touched, to a city with foundations, We're approaching the city of the living God and the gates are wide open. Can you see them? Amen.